Well, welcome to Tuesdays with Merton. My name is Teresa Sandok. I'm a Servite sister from Wisconsin and a member of the board of the International Thomas Merton Society. Tuesdays with Merton is co-sponsored by the International Thomas Merton Society and the Bernadine Center at Catholic Theological Union. The webinars are scheduled to run on the second Tuesday of each month. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Christine Bochum. Christine is a professor emerita of religious studies at Nazareth College in Rochester, New York, and a founding member and past president of the International Thomas Merton Society. She has taught courses, given retreats, and spoken on Merton in a variety of venues in the United States, Canada, and abroad. The Merton world owes a deep debt of gratitude to Christine for making available a variety of works by and about Merton. She edited a volume of Merton's letters to writers titled The Courage for Truth, as well as the sixth volume of Merton's journals called Learning to Love, making these letters and journal entries available in print for the first time. While Merton typed most of his letters, his journal entries were all handwritten. If you've ever seen a sample of his writing, you will appreciate the enormous effort it took for Christine and the other journal editors to decipher his scribbling. Christine also edited Thomas Merton Essential Writings, which is an anthology of Merton's writings published in the Modern Spiritual Masters series. With William Shannon and Patrick O'Connell, she co-authored the Thomas Merton Encyclopedia. And with William Shannon, she co-edited Cold War Letters and Thomas Merton, A Life in Letters. And now with gratitude, I present to you, Dr. Christine Bochen, speaking on Created for Joy, Becoming Who We Are Together. Christine. Thank you, Teresa. My thanks to the ITMS board for the invitation to be with you all this evening. Uh, to Teresa and Alan for shepherding this wonderful series of Tuesdays with Merton, to the Bernadine Center at Catholic Theological Union, and Peter Cunningham and Dan Haran for making sure that um, I could appear on the screen and actually speak and be heard, and to each of you for being with us this evening. During these turbulent, uncertain times, when we are beset by multiple pandemics, the coronavirus, racism, white supremacy, individualism, nationalism, and ecological crisis, Merton's experience and re reflections on joy offer much needed seeds of hope. I'd like to begin with a prayer. And I've chosen this evening to read a portion of Merton's prayer uh, offered at the first spiritual summit in Calcutta. And this was just uh, weeks before, uh, before his death in 1968. And it seems appropriate to our time and our day. So I ask you to join me as we pray with Thomas Merton. Oh God, we are one with you. You have made us one with you. You have taught us that if we are open to one another, you dwell in us. 
help us to preserve this openness and to fight for it with all our hearts. Help us to realize that there can be no understanding where there is mutual rejection. Oh God, in accepting one another wholeheartedly, fully, completely, we accept you and we thank you and we adore you and we love you with our whole being because your being, our being is in your being, our spirit rooted in your spirit. Fill us then with love and let us be bound together with love as we go our diverse ways, united in this one spirit, which makes you present in the world and which makes you witness to the ultimate reality that is love. Um, there are a few things that I'd like to say by way of creating a context for this reflection on joy. Last Sunday's lectionary reading from the book of Job offers a poignant lament. Don't know if you remember it, but you might. He speaks of drudgery, months of misery. Writes, the text writes, the night drags on. I'm filled with restlessness until the dawn. The days, swifter than a weaver's shuttle, come to an end without hope. And he adds, my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. Oh, my. Job's lament may be all too familiar during these days of a dark and difficult winter. But this evening, I want to suggest that Merton offers a compelling counterpoint to Job's lament and ours as well. Though Merton knew moments of darkness and struggle, he confidently proclaimed the deeper reality, the reality that we are created for joy. In the very short time that we have this evening, I want you to join me in beginning to reflect on the question, what does it mean to say that what we are created for is joy? Living in a world in which God is shining through all the time, and yet is very much a world marked by unspeakable violence and suffering. And on a personal note, I ask you, were you surprised by joy today? What was that moment like? And what did it reveal to you about joy? So this proclamation that we were created for joy appears in Seeds of Contemplation, which was published in 1949. And then again, in the expansion of that book uh, with considerable new material, New Seeds of Contemplation published in 1961, in which Merton writes, you were created for spiritual joy. If you could see my, uh, the, the, the screen share, and I don't know if you can, can you? 
No. Uh, okay. No. Um, you would see that he capitalized joy, J-O-Y in caps. Uh, it makes sense that this statement appears in a book on contemplation. The joy of which Merton was speaking is grounded in awakening to and living in an awareness of God's presence within ourselves, within each other, and within our world. If you were fortunate enough to hear Jim Finley uh, last month, and if you weren't, you can pick up the podcast or the video, you will recall that he spoke of this awakening and awareness so beautifully. He talked about flashpoints of oneness, fleeting glimpses of that which I know, and an awareness that the infinite depths of God are the infinite depths of our own self. In these experiences of grace, joy comes over us. We are, in the words of C.S. Lewis, surprised by joy. Joy is of many kinds. Howard Thurman made this observation and it stayed with me because it reflects so beautifully the many kinds of joy that Merton shares with his readers in his journals, letters, in the autobiography, in all his writings, many kinds from ordinary delights to deeply profound and intense moments of striking clarity. But there's a passage toward the end of seven of New Seats of Contemplation, a chapter called The General Dance, that he, he expresses so well what he knew from experience. And that is that the simple and ordinary stuff of life becomes the stuff of the deep as God calls us to follow him in God's mysterious cosmic dance. And this is what Merton wrote and see if it um, resonates with you, reminding you perhaps um, of an experience that you may have had today. When we are alone on a starlit night, when by chance we see the migrating birds in autumn descending on a grove of junipers to rest and eat, when we see children in a moment when they are really children, when we love in our own hearts, or when, like the Japanese poet Basho, we hear an old frog land in a quiet pond with a solitary splash. At such times, the awakening, the turning inside of all values, the newness, the emptiness, and the purity of vision that make themselves evident provide a glimpse 
of the cosmic dance. Merton gives voice to this glimpse of newness and purity of vision in so many different lines of his writing. But I think most uh, beautifully, most powerfully in a talk transcribed and published, um, a talk that he gave to his novices just before he moved to live full-time in the Hermitage. So this was in August, 1955. We're talking about glimpses, um, senses, um, vision. And this is what, what Merton writes or spoke first, and now we have it in writing. We're living in a world that is absolutely transparent and God is shining through it all the time. This is not just a fable or a, a nice story, he says, it's true. And this is something we're not able to see. But if we abandon ourselves to him and forget ourselves to him, we see it sometimes and we see it maybe frequently. That God manifests God's self everywhere, in everything, in people and in things and in nature and in events and so forth. So it becomes very obvious that God is everywhere in everything and we cannot be without God. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent and God is shining through it all the time. Um, we don't see that shining. We don't, uh, our vision is often distorted. Um, or as one of my colleagues used to say, we approach reality with blinders on. Merton is talking about an incredible um, experience, um, a, a beautiful, powerful experience of joy, of happiness in the ordinary that comes as we awaken and open our eyes to see the presence of God within and all around us. You may remember that Merton talked about such ineffable experiences in a variety of different places. But one of my favorites is the way in which he speaks to a sixth grader by the name of Susan Chapelis. And there he introduces her to the joy for which she was created, for which we are all created. And he gets very concrete here. It says, when you are quiet, when you're free from a lot of cares, and when your heart is quiet, you suddenly realize that everything is extremely beautiful. And that just by being quiet, you can almost sense that God is right there not only with you, but even with you, within you. I suggest, he tells Susan, 
that you sometimes be quiet and think how good a thing it is that you are loved by God who is infinite and who in fact is going to make you happy and who in fact is going to make you supremely happy. Isn't that something? The happiness of which Merton is speaking here is what we call joy. And so it's not just, um, you know, a kind of momentary fancy or um, moment of pleasure or delight, although those are fine. He's talking about something profoundly transforming and transformative. And such happiness, such joy, um, I know he hoped that we would realize is never centered on the self, but always transcends the self as we discover who we really are um, in God and in each other. But this discovery of joy, this transcendent quality of joy points to the fact that joy is a reality shared um, we don't just find it and stuff it away someplace. Um, in fact, Merton observes in New Seeds of Contemplation that the more, um, the more joy there will be in heaven if we, in fact, share it with each other. The more of us to share, the greater the joy. And so he explains this by suggesting that we are doors and windows through which God shines back into God's own house. And here, Burton catches, I think, this um, aspect of shared joy that is of its essence. And listen to this, if you will. Because God's love is in me, it can come to you from a different and special direction that would be closed if he did not live in me. And because his love is in you, it can come to me from a quarter from which it would not otherwise come. And because it is in both of us, God has greater glory. God's love is expressed in two more ways in which it would not otherwise be expressed. That is, and listen to this, in two more joys that could not exist without him. One of the gifts that Merton had as a writer was his ability to evoke the reality through images um, to tell us something of the ineffable with images that tease out its meaning, break it open for us. We become doors and windows through which God shines back into God's own house and through which we shine uh, one to the one one to the other. It would not make any sense for me to be reflecting this evening about joy without inevitably turning 
to Merton's proclamation of his own immense joy in being human. And so I am referring, of course, to a passage so well known to those of you who are familiar with Merton and to those of you who are not, um, I recommend Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. One of the things that one of the passages there um, that is so important for us this evening describes Merton's epiphany at Fourth and Walnut. Um, in this slide, which I can't show you, I included um, a photo of the sign that appears at what is now Fourth and Muhammad Ali. It is a celebration. This epiphany is a celebration of joy, the joy of being human and a joy shared. It was for Merton a kind of crystallization, um, a turning point looking forward, looking back, the crystallization of what had been growing within his own heart as a result of his prayer. There are two things that um, are important. And I, I just, because you, I, I'll just read a couple of lines from that passage and then refer you to it, um, to revisit it or to read it for the first time. Yesterday in Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut, suddenly realized that I loved all the people and that none of them were or could be totally alien to me, as if waking from a dream, the dream of separateness, of the special vocation to be different. My vocation does not really make me different from the rest or put me in a special category. I am still a member of the human race. And what more glorious destiny is there for man for the human person, since the word was made flesh and became too a member of the human race. And then, um, thank God, thank God, I am only another member of the human race, like all the rest of them, or all the rest of us. Uh, my students would sometimes read that and say, da, did you just get it? Um, but he did, and then he says, I have the immense joy of being a man. I have the immense joy of being human. This joy of being human in, and the passage in which Burton celebrates um, that reality is very much linked to what is at that point an expanding understanding of his solitude and his vocation but it is also a passage in which he is so mindful of the humanity that is, um, that is taken on by the very word of God. And it is the theme of, of God enfleshed um, that becomes so powerfully expressed for Merton and which becomes um, a foundation really for his understanding of what it means to be human and why to be human is cause for joy. But there is another passage that follows 
the account of this experience in Merton's original journal, A Search for Solitude. The conjectures passage is a bit of a, um, an expansion, a reflection, um, even to some extent an interpretation of the experience. But in the journal, he moves from that experience at Fourth and Walnut in March 1958 to talk about a book that he was reading. And uh, if you heard Chris Pramick's presentation a couple of months ago, uh, he mentioned that book. It was called The Family of Man. And Merton considers it a book of fabulous pictures. It was documenting an exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art in New York uh, that consisted of more than 500 photographs of people in more than 65 countries around the world. And Merton's reaction to the photos gives a visual dimension to the epiphanic insight that he has at Fourth and Walnut. Uh, Chris shared this passage with you and uh, it bears sharing again. The whole book is to me a picture of Christ. There, there is Christ in my own kind. My own kind, kind, which means likeness and which means love and which means child, mankind, like one another. There is only the great secret between us that we are all one kind. It is the divine power and the divine joy and God is seen and God reveals God's self as man, as human that is in us, and there is no other hope of finding wisdom than in God manhood, God humanity, in our own humanity transformed by God. The images that Merton saw in that book gave flesh to his realization that the joy of being human is the joy of being part um, of the very body of Christ, a, bo a body that is broken, a body of broken bones, too often, as he suggests in New Seeds of Contemplation. But it is in that discovery of the Christ who is in all and all who are in Christ that Merton enjoys joy. But I want to add one other point about this, um, this business of celebrating, if you will, his humanness, the joy of being human. And that comes a little bit later um, in 1965 in a journal in entry in which he goes back to this theme of the joy of being human 
But this time, in, in an interesting way, he links it to this insight that God has made me God's epiphany. And now I am meant to reveal God. Merton is saying this as an expression of his vocation, but he's also, I think, inviting us to think about the ways in which in discovering and celebrating our humanness, we come to see that we are as, as God, as Christ, God, as Christ was, um, the manifestation of God one to the other. So these themes that I, that I see um, in Merton, and I'm just touching on a few here, are a celebration of our human unity, our connection, our brotherhood and sisterhood, if you will, uh, that are such that we must see in each the true reality, the true core of who that person is in God. This is a beautiful insight, but it's more than that for Merton because it begins to lay the foundation for his realization that even though we may be alien one to another, as were the strangers that he saw at the corner of Fourth and Walnut that day in March, we have a responsibility for each other. Being human is gift, it is grace, it is also a calling, a vocation to realize in ourselves that fullness of humanity with which we have been gifted. Merton experienced the joy of being human in an intimate way in friendship. And so I'd like to speak for just a couple of minutes about how this experience of friendship becomes um, a way for us to understand a dimension of the joy of being human as Merton came to know it. Robert Daggy, in his introduction to a volume of letters entitled The Road to Joy, I'll say something about that later, speaks of the unfathomable, the unfathomable grace of friendship that was Merton's. Um, he tasted the joy of being human in his friendships and saw them as grace as gift, perhaps the most, um, the oldest and most lasting of his friendships were those that he made uh, with the men he came to know at Columbia. And notice how Merton looks back 
on those years and those friends and sees the experience that they shared as grace. God brought me and a half dozen others together at Columbia and made us friends in such a way that our friendship would work powerfully to rescue us from the confusion and mi misery in which we have had come to find ourselves, partly through our own fault and partly through the complex set of circumstances which might be grouped together under the heading of the modern world, modern society. Friendship is grace, the power of God's grace acting in our lives. That was how Merton saw it. But he also saw friendship through the lens of sacrament, of sacramentality. And so he explained um, in that passage as he's reflecting in Seven Story Mountain on his conversion that our salvation begins on the level of common and ordinary things. Um, as do the sacraments use bread and wine and water and light. And he, he says, and so it was with me, books and ideas, poems and stories, pictures, music, buildings, cities, places, philosophy, were to be the material on which grace would work. Friends, friends with whom he shared those books and ideas, those poems and stories, the pictures, the places, were also the material on which grace worked. Merton had a gift for friendship and there's much to be said on this topic, but I want to underscore one aspect, certainly there's the conviviality, the joy, the humor, the laughter, the being with that is sheer delight. But Merton shared with friends all through his life, um, intellectual curiosity, passions that were his for reading and writing and spiritual hunger. You may remember if you know um, and recall your reading of Seven Story Mountain that Merton's friendship with Bob Lax illustrates that so beautifully. They're walking down the street in New York and um, Lax says to his friend Merton, what do you wanna be anyway? And Merton sort of flubs along, well, I think I'd like to be a writer, blah, blah, blah. And then his friend says, you should say is that you want to be a saint. Um, so his friend mirrors back to him what is the deep call and hunger of his soul. And so we are so mindful, I think, as we look at the friendships that Merton experienced, the range of them, um, and all you need to do is to look at the books of letters and um, you know, one, one friend after another, after another. Uh, Bonnie Thurston spoke of his friend at Agolic, um, his teacher at Columbia, Mark Van Doren, his kinship with writers like Boris Pasternak and Czesław Miłosz. 
These were wonderful, wonderful experiences. They were soul friendships. And it's interesting and uh, meet for another, uh, seeds for another reflection to know how many of those cross the boundaries of faith and religious tradition as well. Merton had a capacity for modeling what we have come to know now um, as the value and the beauty and the wonder of inter-religious friendship. So he sums this up um, in a letter that he writes to his friend Jacques Maritain. This is about the joy of friendship. And um, I think we can all, blessed by the friends in our lives, relate how beautiful and simple God's plan for humankind is. That's it. Friends who love, who suffer, who search, who see God's joy. We live in the glory of God. That moment of friendship, that experience of friendship um, opens the door. The friend becomes the window and the door. And in the mutuality of friendship, we shine back to one another with the, the calling and the love that God offers. And so as I move to the end of my reflection, and you can see how dipping into Merton, um, there's always the desire to say more about each of these themes, but I'm hoping that I can just whet your appetite for reflecting on this theme um, as maybe the next couple of days or weeks or months go on. I'd like to suggest that joy, which I have suggested for Merton is a matter of seeing, of recognizing, of allowing the transparency um, of reality to, um, to show us what really is and what and who God is, um, that joy is also a calling. I mentioned a few minutes ago that Merton realized we are called to be epiphany, manifestation um, of God's presence one to another. So we might think about joy as a movement from vision to vocation. And that is something that I think Merton himself realized, at least I think he did, um, in a prayer that he includes is reprinted in Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. He says, you have made us together. You have made us one in many. You've placed me here in the midst as a witness, as awareness and as joy, here, witness, awareness, and joy, from vision to vocation. So as I uh, draw this to an end and um, look forward to what you would like to share or any questions that you might have, I go back to the title of Bob Daggy's volume of letters of Merton, 
entitled The Road to Joy. And I want to share with you the story very briefly of how it came to be um, that that title emerges. It is, finds its place in a letter and um, in an exchange of friendship with a young girl by the name of Grace Sisson, who as a little girl sends Merton a beautiful drawing of a house, Grace's house, which is the inspiration for a poem. So some years later, five years later, I believe, she sends Merton another drawing and entitles that one, The Road to Joy. And as Merton writes back to thank her, he expresses a hope for grace. And I'd like to think that it is a hope for each one of us as well. I hope that you and I together will secretly travel our own road to joy, which is mysteriously revealed to us without our exactly recognizing it. When I say that, I don't want you to stop, start thinking about it. You already know it without thinking about it. Merton's words to young Grace Sisson, an expression of hope and invitation and one that I hope we will share and know that when this pandemic time of isolation is over, we might come together uh, perhaps at a meeting of the society and um, realize that uh, we are meeting on our own roads to joy. Um, thank you for listening, and I hope that as you think of some of what Merton had to share with us, and also delve into your own experience of joy, um, that you begin to do that with um, a consciousness that deepens those moments of joy and the promise of an eternal joy that is ours. Thank you. Thank you, Christine, for a wonderful presentation for artfully weaving together a number of really interesting themes centered around a three letter word joy. One of our own uh, Merton Society uh, members wants to know what drew you to this theme of joy in Merton, him, his life and his writings. Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> Elaborate, uh, please. <laughs> yes, I, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be, uh, to, to offer that as a quip, um, but there, for, for some years, I, I was thinking about mercy, and of course, that, uh, that was intensified during the period of uh, the year of mercy in 2015, and it was during that year um, that uh, Robert Ellsberg asked me to pull together uh, some writings on mercy. But as I began to think about mercy, I don't, I, I can't explain why, 
um, it, it seemed like the, like the counterpart to that theme. And I even did a presidential address for the ITMS on the theme of mercy, that, um, that, that the other side is joy. Um, and, and maybe, um, maybe that mercy is, is really the ground of joy for us. That's what drew me. And so I've, I've been playing with it a bit and teasing it out. And there are so many, so many different dimensions, um, not the least of which is that Burton is so, uh, the theme of joy is so much a part of both the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures. And so um, I started uh, to see joy everywhere once I started paying attention in the way that I had seen mercy uh, so much present in those in those readings. So um, I think that there's lots to reflect on. Yeah. Another one saw some real intrigue with the twin themes of friendship and incarnation. Mm. When I offer those two, is there a way in which you see friendship working with incarnation? How are they related? Yeah, and maybe maybe around that theme of sacrament, sacramentality, you know, the embodiment, um, the embodiment of God's presence mediated through through the joy of another, through through the being of another person. So, yeah, I, you know, it's. Um, I this the, I sometimes think that that we we are sacraments one to the other, um, and nowhere I mean this is true in in deep and profound relationships um, of friendship, and whether we're talking about uh, marriage built on friendship and expansion of that, but this embodiment, this sacramentality seems to be very, very much um, the thread that unites those themes. Yeah. I like that. It uh, actually resonates closely with me and, and my own Quaker understanding of sacramental theology, uh, assuming we have one. So I think a related question from Vicki, can we extend this joy to the earth and all creatures and all created things? And I might add, and if so, how? moment by moment, act by act. Um, I'm mindful, and, and I, I referred, uh, made mention of this in, in my introductory comments, that, that Merton's ability to, um, to focus our attention to bring forward the centrality of joy for which we are created coexists with um, a deep and keen understanding of human suffering. Um, I mentioned the image of body of broken bones, which is um, a chapter in New Seeds. Um, Merton's awareness of the issues of, of war, um, of violence of all sorts, of, of the violence of, of racism. Um, so, so it's as though we, we hold these two realities side by side, as he did in that tension. Um, and then in those moments and in those actions, those of us who have that deep reservoir um, of being loved and loving, beginning to express that outward. 
Um, it sounds so simple, but it begins there, doesn't it? Um, and let me let me just say that at the moment. Okay, great. One of the things I experience as, as one who's still teaching at the at the collegiate level, you probably experienced it too. The young people that I deal with are all looking for happiness. Yeah. Now maybe they think happiness is joy. I don't know. Well, maybe you can ask that. But um, for this younger generation, to whom we hope Merton will also speak, how would you tailor what you've said to us tonight around the theme of joy, and link it to happiness, which is often pursued through, you know, Instagram and whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually two generations behind technologically, but but they really want to be happy. And if you ask yeah. them. What do they want to be? It's happy. Yeah. So what do you well, say to them about joy? Uh-huh. And and I'm mindful of the fact that Merton uses the word happiness sometimes, yeah. but he uses it in that deep way. I, I think I would, uh, if I were teaching, if I were teaching this, uh, I would begin, um, I would begin by looking at the book of joy. And uh, remember Desmond Tutu and uh, the Dalai Lama. And that book has some wonderful trailers uh, that were part of the promotion in which these two men are with each other, obviously friends, right? And they are happy, but they have each known profound suffering and both are mindful of the reality of violence. They are happy, but they also talk about this sacrament, this embodiment, they embody joy. So I think one of the questions that, that I would ask, and I, I think this isn't just for, you know, for, for college students or high school students, would be to just probe, who are the people that you think of who, who are joyful. And, and we can all, you know, some of the people are, are known only to us. And yet there are these wonderful human beings um, whose joy is contagious. And when we begin to look at them, we realize that happy doesn't do it. That their experience is, first of all, not la-la land, right? But it's also not about them. Um, and that uh, David Brooks in uh, in the book he he one of his latest books on the second half of the mountain I'm not getting that title exactly right has some wonderful wonderful chapters on joy and one of the things he he makes the point of and so does the book of joy is that that happiness might be about you but joy is not. Um, joy, it, joy is, is outward. Um, joy is, um, joy is something you, joy is surprise. Thurman talks about the great surprise. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis about being surprised by joy. It is gift. Um, and it, it, 
it is grace. Uh, it's here that the language, the theological language, actually fits so well with the with the psychology of joy. Um, there was an actual conference at Yale, a consultation on joy a few years ago um, that issued in papers a whole stack of them, which, um, which I read with great delight. But the psychology of joy is, is an invitation to a transcendence of self. I'm just thinking we need a, a neuroscientist to come and give us the, the brain mechanisms of joy. Yeah, and, and, and way beyond my pay grade. Me too. Lauren asks a really good question. How would you suggest we be aware and stay aware of the transparency of God in everyday life? How would you suggest- Intentionality. An intentionality. Right? I, it, it really is a matter of pain. And I say this to myself. I mean, one of the things that I have learned um, in all these wonderful years of teaching, and especially the years of teaching Merton, is that everything I say about Merton and every time um, I'm sharing something of his wisdom is because I need to hear it. Because I'm hearing it as if for the first time. And so I, I think that that intentionality and, and that's you know, the, the moment, the, um, an Ignatian exercise um, or a play on it might, a, a turn on it might be to ask that question with which I began of, of how have you experienced joy today? How have you shared it? Um, you know, but, but it's the intentionality, I think that makes the difference. And maybe our friends can be especially helpful in this regard, our soul friends. Um, know how to make us more attentive to the the notes of joy in our life when the you know when the, the friends remember when our song when we have forgotten the words Christina I've never thought about you and me being psychically connected but I think I have some evidence now because I was going to say this is going to be our last question you began with one that intrigued me were you surprised by joy today? And I'm going to ask you, were you surprised by joy today? And is there a little story that you might share on your way out of here? Well, um, I am being surprised by joy right now. <laughs> this, is, this is the high point of my day. I spent my day kind of getting things ready and uh, you know, tweaking uh, the PowerPoint, which no one ever saw and even adding some photographs and feeling really proud of myself because as I shared with the, with the group at the beginning, um, you know, I never use PowerPoint in my teaching and yet the Zoom experience, and I've had a little bit of that this year, uh, makes it very helpful because I can't give people a handout. And so um, when I, you know, there was that moment where I thought, no joy. <laughs> uh, nobody's going to see any of this. And then I realized, wow, okay, maybe that's a distraction. 
Um, and so it was the joy and seeing your face, uh, seeing Dan, seeing, and, and I have to confess that I wish I were a participant and could look at the gallery and know that, that friends are there. Um, and that some of what I shared from Merton, he made a smile. So that, that's been my, my experience. Um, may I share one more thing? Of course. Um, I have discovered through um, a friend who is a soul friend, uh, Jenny Radigan, the joy of going to Canterbury Cathedral for morning prayer. And I found this only a couple of weeks ago and wish that I found it how many months ago it was happening. So Dean Willis um, offers morning prayer and a reflection from the grounds of Canterbury, complete with critters, including cats. Uh, one day, one simply sat on his lap as he prayed and as he read, it was absolutely delightful. Um, you might say it was just a hoot and a holler. And uh, these last couple of days, this man has been out in the snow. It's been snowing. And he sits there, and the little tea table is there beside him. And one day, the cat was smart enough to get under the table as the snowflakes were falling. So talk about intentionality. Um, this has become a new way of shared prayer for me. Um, and, you know, here's a plug for Canterbury. Just go to the cathedral website and you will be able to uh, Google your way to this experience. But I realized, um, you know, how and how, how Merton-ish now I'm realizing as I'm talking about it, it is because this man is so attentive to what is around him. As we know, Merton was. And, you know, he saw, he saw the deer, he saw the flowers, he saw the birds, he saw the constellation. And so when we say ice and snow, give praise to the Lord, um, Dean Willis knows how to do it for real, embodied. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Christine for reminding us that no matter how bleak our days and times may sometimes seem, that there is always the possibility there of finding joy together and being joy together. So thank you so much for your beautiful words. And I also wish to thank Peter Cunningham and the Bernadine Center at Catholic Theological Union for providing technical support Peter was assisted by Father Dan Horan, a theologian at CTU and an ITMS board member. Thanks also to Alan Culp for his masterful moderating of the questions, to Bob Grip, who posts the webinars on YouTube, and to Mark Mead, who makes them available as podcasts. Registration is now open for the March 9th webinar, which will feature Father Brian Massengale on Merton, Malcolm X, and Catholic engagement with Black Lives Matter. So for now, goodbye, stay safe, and we hope to see you all in March. Good night.